Blog Talk Radio. Standard time, and you know what that means. Yep, you're right. It's time for another episode of Stunt Track with yours truly, Uncle Jim, and the one, the only, the Leslie Hoffman. And uh, we've got a great show planned for you guys tonight. Actually, this is a pretty easy show for Leslie because this show is all about Leslie. And we're going to talk with Leslie about how a little girl from Saranac Lake, New York, ends up all the way out in Hollywood, California, working on the movies. In particular, Nightmare on Elm Street, Star Trek, uh, all kinds of great stuff. So we're going we're gonna to pick Leslie's brain about how that happened, what led her to Hollywood, what were some of her influences that made her choose that path. And we're just going to have some fun. And I'm almost positive that Planet of the Apes is somehow going to come into the conversation because it always does so our phone number here is 646-668-2433 if you have a question for leslie or you just want to call and say hello please do 646-668-2433 is the number and we'll be with you here live for about another hour so give us a call and say hello We'd love to hear from you. So, Leslie, what's going on tonight? Anything exciting happening up in Saranac Lake? Well, we we finally got uh, past the super lockdown at uh, the place that I stay at. Um, uh, let's see, what what was it? I guess it was two weeks ago. One staff person tested positive for the COVID virus. Then last week, another staff person and a resident tested positive. So we were like, like I say, in super lockdown. They will basically they won't let us out of the room. I mean, I I get a special pass as long as I go get uh, the COVID test because my mother lives here and I have to go down to the, her room and 
you know, take care of her. But every other resident was basically locked in their room. They were not supposed to come out of the room. So anyways, everyone is negative and we're allowed to, to come out. Uh, I haven't had housekeeping for three weeks now. <laughs> so with with the dog and the cat, I have a fur-lined rug. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. No, well, they, I'm, I'm glad you know, they I'm, the... I'm glad to hear that you're out of double secret uh lockdown. It's nice to have some freedom. Yeah. No, it's uh I guess they've come up with some kind of uh at-home test where as opposed to I don't know if everyone has had a covert tests up at a hospital or whatever, but they stick that Q-tip like like into your brain almost. Uh, this at-home test, it's like they, they swish it around just the, I don't know what to call it, just the inside of the nostril, not way up. <laughs> And it's so silly. They have to the rule the the instructions is you got to rotate it 15 times. So you know, my poor my mother has dementia, but you know they're they're trying to the, to rotate it 15 times in one nostril, 15 times in the other nostril, um, and then they pinch it between some kind of paper that must have uh, chemicals on it and uh, <laughs> I guess it's like being preg- one of those pregnancy tests you know, see, you pinch it in the paper you hold it that, there for so many minutes and then you unfold the paper or something and you're either negative or positive and, and luckily everyone at Will Rogers was negative so so yes oh. it's, <laughs> It actually, believe it or not, that is an absolutely great thing that that we're able to 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 roam around the building now. Now, what if you only rotate it fourteen times? The test won't work. <laughs> <laughs> That's my point exactly. Is I couldn't believe that the instructions. What if you only have it? What, what if you do it fourteen and a half times? <laughs> you know, is the test going to? <laughs> I don't know. How is the paper going to know whether you rotated it in your nostril ten times, fifteen times, twenty times? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, on Facebook right now. Um, Someone had a picture on a pizza box that it says, open the box before you eat the pizza. It really did, well, unless someone photoshopped it. And about two, three weeks ago was this video of a woman calling up, I think it was Domino's, and she was furious because she opened up the pizza box and all there was was the bread. There was no cheese or pepperoni or whatever on the on the pizza and she's screaming at these people. And finally this other person or, or well maybe it was the same person who was the manager, he tries to tell her to close the box 
and rotated. So she's she's rotating it in a circle, and finally someone on her side of the line says, no, I think he means flip it over. <laughs> and she flips <laughs> over the box <laughs> and opens it up. <laughs> Here's the pepperoni cheese pizza. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know you're in trouble when you... <laughs> You've been quarantined too long, <laughs> or I don't know. People do that. I don't. Well, actually, now I just I was telling the person who posted this is that my father used to own a pharmacy, and people would swallow suppositories, or um. I don't know if you remember when they came out with deodorant that were, they were like uh, pads, which you were supposed to, you know, open the jar, peel a pad off and wipe it under each each arm. Well, people were trying to keep the pad under their arm. They didn't understand that you were supposed to, oh, boy. <laughs> you know, wipe it and and throw it away. <laughs> Gee, for some reason, every time I lift up my arm, the pad falls out. <laughs> well, I don't that's know. just like it's... the uh, the, the suppositories that say remove foil before inserting. I mean, <laughs> just imagine that. <laughs> Somebody took a tin foil yeah. suppository. Well... And it didn't work, and they're walking around with tinfoil in them, figuring it's not working because you didn't uh, you didn't open it. You just <laughs> right. Oh boy. Well, there's there's a, there's a great scene on an episode of House where where the woman has asthma and she has one of those uh, inhalers, and and House says, "Could you show me how you use the inhaler?" And she says, "What do you think? I'm stupid or something?" And he says. You know, just show me how you use the inhaler. And she sprays it on the outside of her neck like, you know, uh, you would put perfume on the outside of your neck. She takes the inhaler and and squishes it on the outside of her neck on both sides. That's how she uses the inhaler. And I'm sure people do that for real. Well, they call it common sense, but... It's not very common. <laughs> wow. So, Leslie, what do you what do you say we dive right into our our topic for tonight, which is of course you. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds uh <laughs> No, it sounds good. It's a it's a question that you know, um people have said asked me many times, you know, uh, why did I choose to become a stunt woman actress? And and I really have to start off with the town that I was brought up in. Saranac Lake was famous for the cure, which was uh, tuberculosis back in the beginning of the 20th century. Well, actually, late 19th century into the beginning of the 20th century, uh, they came up with the idea that um, you should sit out in fresh, cold air and you would get better. They they didn't have any. you got to realize there was a point 
that the world didn't have antibiotics. Now, once they discovered antibiotics, it kind of ruined the industry up here. But uh, we used to have, along with, uh, what should I call it, everyday people, uh, you had vaudevillians, you know, back in, in the early 20th century that came up for the cure. I mean, they'd be in musty, moldy uh, theaters, uh, you know, breathing breathing that air, and they developed tuberculosis. Uh, then later on, uh, uh, people in silent movies who also had tuberculosis would come up here. And in fact, the place where I live, Will Rogers, uh, was, at least when I was growing up, um, was the hospital where the entertainment people would come. And I knew that as a child. So it's like you had all these people from the entertainment industry living in this mansion, and it is a mansion. Someday you got to come up here to see Will Rogers when the covert virus is done and over with. And I got to come down and see you one of these days, too. Um, but, uh, you know, so I I was up at Will Rogers as a child, and and uh you know it always fascinated me that uh we we had these movie stars that were up here or or people in in i mean it isn't just movie stars it's it's cast and crew uh but also we had william morris who is is or was the william morris agency i mean that that was like the most famous talent agency during his time period, and he built what was called a great camp. Uh, like I say, when you talk about cure houses or great camps up here, you're not talking about a little shack or a one-story building. You're you're talking about um, a mansion. Uh, I was brought up in a uh, what used to be a cure cottage, and that's what they called it, cottage. Um, and our cottage was three stories tall, not including the basement, that sat on an acre and a half of land. And that's that was a little house. I mean, uh, which was kind of sad because when I moved to California, you know, you have the dream of owning a house like the house you were brought up in, there's no way I could have afforded a three-story house on an acre and a half of land in California. I mean, you're lucky to be able to buy one-story houses in California. Anyways, um, because I think because William Morris was here, we had uniquely well-known people just starting out that came up here because I think they probably thought that William Morris might discover them. Uh, we had Rosalind Russell, who used to perform at a summer theater. You know, so you're probably talking about the 1930s. I haven't checked to see when she went to Hollywood, you know, and was basically discovered. Uh, we had, believe it or not, Faye Dunaway was a waitress at one of our local restaurants, 
And then the strangest of all is we had Veronica Lake, uh, the the actress that had the hair that went over, the bangs went over one eye. Um, I mean, Veronica Lake is a stage name, but uh, she attended one of our parochial schools. So, so like you say, it's it. Uh, um, Saranac Lake is so connected in a in a in a unique sort of way to the entertainment industry. Um, William Morris donated money, bought a piece of property, and created a play park. It was named in his honor. And as a young child, I used to play at the William Morris Play Park. I mean, it like I say, it was just, it was just a given. I mean. Um, uh, Again, uh, well, I already said this was the uh, hospital where the actresses, actor and actresses would come to. Originally was the National Vaudeville Artist Lodge, but then when Will Rogers died in 1935, um, the hospital was bought out by a fund that had been created in Will Rogers' name. And and in 1935, uh, this building was renamed the Will Rogers Memorial Hospital. Anyways, getting back to me, um, as a child, I was pigeon-toed. Uh, and I had to wear those cloggy shoes that had like an S-shaped heel to it. But someone also suggested to my mother that I should take ballet lessons and it would turn my feet out. Um, the The teacher realized when I started taking ballet lessons with a group of other girls, realized that I was I had acrobatic talents, you know, I could do cartwheels and flips and all sorts of things. So um I was had put into private lessons and uh she would have me open up the recitals uh for the public. So I was on the stage by myself singing and dancing, and I probably was, I don't know, five or six years old and and uh, did it for several years. Um, also, I performed in um, our summer theater probably age six. I don't know. I, let's put it this way. I got the acting bug at a very young age, um, uh, in fact, I probably have that picture somewhere of me in in one of the plays where where the actor is actually lifting me over his head. But uh, I don't know. All in all, I I was a tomboy. I, I would climb trees. We had a mountain in our backyard. I, I'd go climbing up the mountain, and then about halfway up the mountain was actually a rock wall. And I would scale the rock wall, which, if you think about it, was pretty dangerous. If I'd fallen off the face of the wall, uh, there would have been no one there, or no one would have known that I was up the mountain doing that. Um, but, but it, 
I don't know. That was life up here. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, is that uh, so? Did you grow up in Vermont? No, no. I, I, I'm from down. Well, downstate, outside of Albany, actually. Scotia, New York, is where I grew up. And uh, me and my cousins would go out in the woods and we'd climb trees and we'd climb mountains and we, we did all that kind of stuff. We, we didn't have cell phones or any of that stuff, and we survived just fine. We grew up no problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the world, yeah. the world has changed so much. I mean, we didn't have parents watching. We'd, be, we'd place, do you remember the game Spud? You know, it's one of those uh, whatever, sort of basketball, except it isn't a basketball. It's a softer ball. But, um, you know, whoever would throw the ball up in the air and call out somebody's name and and that person, if you caught the ball on the way down, you could actually throw it back up in the air and call out somebody else's name who hopefully was far enough away that by the time they could try to run back to grab the ball before it hit the ground, uh, well, if it hit the ground, so you got the letter S, and, you know, so if the word spud was, you know, if you ended up with the four letters, spud, uh, you'd be out. But um, I'm trying to, I feel like some, some now I'm getting lost on the rules, is that, again, like dodgeball, uh, there also was a way that you could throw the ball and hit somebody, and they'd get a letter that way. But, I mean, we we were outside playing spud, playing hide-and-seek, or, I mean, as you, well, even as you said, climb mountains, climb trees, I mean. And then when, when it, it would get dark, when it'd get twilight, uh, you knew it was time to go in. Yeah, that's how we all that's how we all grew up. When the street lights came on, you came home. Yeah. yeah. Pretty simple. Or or I've seen on Facebook, you know, we're a generation that used to drink water out of a hose or or I I forget the other oh, you know, we we were on swing sets. I mean, uh did you ever jump off of a swing set? You know, you swing back and forth and at the height of of uh, coming forward, you you jump off into the air. Many many times, many times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what, what I you look back at it. Of course, nowadays, I guess parents would go, "Oh my God!" You know, the child just jumped off the. <laughs> I mean, we did things yep. like that. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a nasty, some of the well, a semi-nasty story is that uh, I was on the teeter-totter with my younger brother, who was like two and a half years younger than me, and instead of <laughs> instead of coming down on my feet. I came, you know, I'm. I let the, I let the, <laughs> I let the, um, whatever the wood hit the ground. <laughs> and, 
I'm sorry. I'm laughing, and it's so mean. My brother flipped off the top of the teeter-totter. I remember looking up at him, and he just kind of went over backwards. I don't know. Again, I guess I could have killed him, but but we, we were kids back then. I mean, the things the things that we used to do to each other. You know, like say nowadays they they probably said would say, "How did you survive?" <laughs> exactly. The stuff we did as kids, we would never get away with today. Well, listen, we have to take our first commercial break for our listeners over at Odyssey Radio. So uh, run, don't walk to the bathroom. Hurry up, run in there, grab some chicken wings, grab something to drink, and hurry right back because we have a lot more to talk about with the Leslie Hoffman, and we're going to talk a little bit about Freddy Krueger. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday nights, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. Uncle Jim, the Leslie Hoffman, and we're talking tonight about the Leslie Hoffman. Now, Leslie, you've done a lot of stuff in Hollywood. You've been in a lot of movies and uh, TV shows, Star Trek, Voyager, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, um, Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) And I want to take an opportunity. I I think uh, one of the roles that, that I know you, of course, the best from, is the hall monitor in Nightmare on Elm Street. We've talked about this a lot in past shows. So for people that don't know this, um, Leslie played the hall monitor in Nightmare on Elm Street, the original classic Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, here is that clip of Leslie as the hall monitor from the original classic Nightmare on Elm Street. opportunity I get and I guess one of the questions that I want to ask you in reference to that clip is uh, when you were growing up in Saranac Lake what were some of the horror movies or some of the the monster movies that that you would have watched that would have inspired you to to want to do a role like that I, I I really wasn't into horror movies but I would watch I I wish I could. I've tried to look up the name of this movie by Googling, you know, keywords, and I can't find it. But I watched some horror movie where things from the future came back. And, well, I love animals, but 
this one scene, this five-eyed dead cat reappears or comes some again I don't even remember how they were able to get the people from the future to come to I guess the present but uh, I mean that scene just always freaked me out was was this cat and and I even remember how the movie ended it it turned out that uh, these radioactive whatever from the future the guy walks into a freshwater pond or something and that's what killed him was the fresh water like I say I wish I knew what the name of that movie was um, another horror movie that I remember I don't think it was called The Blob I, I'm, I'm, I just don't again I don't remember the names of these movies but but there was like this sand monster that came out of a crack. And again, you got to remember my age and what horror movies pretty much were about back then was radioactive. I mean, we just, uh, well, I'm not as old as World War Two, but in the 50s, uh, that 50s and early 60s, that's what movies mainly, when you're talking about horror, that's basically the theme was being radioactive and whether it made a woman, whatever, I forget, it wasn't 10 feet. What was she, 100 feet, 50 feet? I don't know. Uh, Attack um, of the 50-foot woman. Yep, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, but but that was due to radioactive. I think I think the guy that that shrunk was also based on radioactive. You know, he kept getting smaller and smaller. Now, you know, Leslie, like, let me ask you. Uh, let me ask another question then. Um, since you worked a lot on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and Star Trek: Voyager. Uh, was Star Trek an influence on you when you were growing up? Did you grow up watching Star Trek? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's late 60s. So um, I, I'm trying to remember if my father allowed me to stay up that late. But, but if I didn't see it as a first run, I definitely saw it as a, uh, uh, as a second run. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, well, again, maybe maybe that's it. Is that there's all these movies about radioactive and people dying, and here this sci-fi show comes along, and it's about hope. You know, it's about people uh, caring about other people, and and it was the future. I mean, or or another show I used to watch. Well, I don't know. People keep calling it a horror show. It wasn't a horror show. It was The Twilight Zone. I mean, Rod Serling, who actually is from uh, the Burlington area, that's still far away from me, but, but that's... Uh, <laughs> to some people, they would call that upstate New York. I don't call Burlington upstate New York. It always amazes me, you know, when they say, Buffalo, upstate New York. 
or or the Catskills, upstate New York. Oh, come on. That's western New York, and that's downstate. That's way downstate. Um, But, you know, uh, Rod Serling, if you really look at his episodes, uh, it was about, it was about if you don't work together, we're going to perish. I mean, we we can't have hatred, or we're all going to be lost. Um, I don't know. Well, I won't go deep into that. But uh, during my time period as a child, I used to watch the Adventures of Superman. That was just, uh, George Reeve. I mean, no relation to Chris Reeves. I always get asked that question. No relation. Uh, but George Reeves, you know, just watching him uh, fly through the air or or beating up the bad guys. Uh, of course, everyone laughs about how come Superman stands there and gets shot by bullets, but when they throw the gun at him, he ducks. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, no, you know, um, actually, people. Well, you had brought up this idea uh, of tonight's show, and it made me think about it. And you know, I used to watch Bonanza, The Virginian, uh, High Chaparral, um, uh, Batman Will Travel. You know, it it was. During the Western period television shows, Lone Ranger, I mean, Hopalong Cassidy was not that violent, but, uh, um, you know, so here are these guys on horses, and they're shooting guns, and they're getting into fights. Um, then, Then we started getting into detective shows like Mannix. Um... And again, there were there were fight scenes, and and these are these are the shows that I watched. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, I did watch Dick Van Dyke. He did comedic comedic falls. I mean, there were still stunts to to even that show. Um, as a far far as movies, <laughs> here we go. One of my favorite is Planet of the Apes. Is that? Yeah, I just we got to get Planet of the Apes in there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the chase scene through the museum, and then when they finally net him and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I love the whole movie, but but you know things like that or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, especially the jump off the the cliff into the water. I mean, I know how it was done now because because I got into the sun industry, I was told how they did that shot, which I'll just I'll I won't say how. <laughs> and then, you know, may, many of the early James Bond movies with Sean Connery, uh maybe a couple of the uh Roger Moore movies as James Bond, but you know, there was always that super special stunt at the beginning of these movies. And I guess I was fascinated about them. Um, uh, one of one of my favorite stories 
was I was visiting my aunt uh, down in Long Island, and she wanted to take me to a movie, you know, to to keep me occupied, entertained. And we go to a theater, and it only has two movies. Well, one movie was more about uh, somebody having an affair, and she thought I was... I was probably 14 at the time, and she didn't want me to see this adulterous movie. Well, the other movie was a Western, and she figured, oh, well, that's that's safe, a Western. So so (laughs) we go into the theater, and this movie starts, and I mean... It, it turned out to be Sam Peckinpah's The Wild Bunch, and that was a revolutionary movie at the time uh, when it comes to stunts. Um, it was the first time that a person would get shot and they had a squib on the front of them. So, you know, when the bullet supposedly hits them, this blood goes squirting out. But what he did is he had the stuntmen have a squib on their back. So the the bullet would pass through the person. You get the explosion and the blood coming out in the front, but then you get the second explosion and the blood coming out in the back. <laughs> and it was it was so amazing. Again, I guess when you see something like for the first time, I mean, you're just in at least for me, I was in awe of it. I loved it, and um, and they're dragging this guy behind a horse, and and then um, <laughs> it sounds awful. They slit his neck, and blood comes pouring out of his neck. My aunt is is hysterical. Um, she she keeps asking me, uh, don't you want to get some popcorn or something? <laughs> and I'm going, no, no. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat watching. Uh, like I say, these guys getting shot and all these horse stunts and things like that. <laughs> I mean, I'll never, I'll never forget the Wild Bunch. Um, you know, so uh, even though when I was young and and teachers would make us write about, uh, you know, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up? And I used to always write, I wanted to be an actress. Uh, you know, looking back at films and television, I mean, I I think. Without knowing it, it 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 was the stunts that that you know had me so enthralled. I mean, what what kind of movies or television shows did you watch? Uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I'm not you're not that much older than me, but I would watch The Wild Wild West. I loved that one. Batman was one of my favorites. I'd run home from school to watch uh. Batman. Um, of course, Star Trek, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Buck Rogers, um, the Gil Gerard, Buck Rogers. Uh, you know, one of my favorite movies, Flash, ah, music by Queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, again, again, you're, uh, you know, um, 
let's see, uh, just picking uh, the stunts in in Buck Rogers. I mean, the music was fantastic. I mean, Queen will will never be forgotten for the music in in Flash. Um, but but there were stunts all throughout uh, Buck Rogers. I mean, it, it, if you really think about it, you know, the fight on on that, I don't know what to call it, that that tipping disc that had the that had the spikes that came up. Yep, yep. You know, and they're and they're whipping. Uh, there's like one scene where where he whips around one of the spikes, not so he doesn't fall into whatever you could fall into and uh um, I don't know and well now I'm just kind of thinking around like like the Indiana Jones movies that that had stunts all over the place now Leslie before we run out of time I I would be I would be negligent in my duties as a host if I didn't ask you this question but having grown up watching Star Trek on television, when you actually got the job to work on Star Trek, did you were you aware of of what you were about to do and about the world that you were going to be a part of? Did that impact you in any way when you were on the set and you actually went there to work? Did it dawn on you exactly what Star Trek means to so many people? And what it would be oh, like to it, bring that to life? I don't know about thinking of what other people thought, but you know, I'm I'm such a well, I'm old enough that we were called Trekkies, not Trekkers. It's it's so funny how you can change name or or you could be called one name and a group of people become insulted that they were called Trekkies. So then they decided that they should be Trekkers, not Trekkies. I was a Trekkie. Um, when I had my first job on uh, Deep Space Nine, I'd worked on Paramount, the Paramount lot before. I'd been on Clue, and and I'd, I'd have to go back and look and see what other movies at Paramount. But but that first day that I walked on the Paramount lot, walking over to the sound stages where uh, Deep Space Nine was being filmed, I mean, it it was a whole different sensation. I mean. You know, I had jobs as a stunt woman way before Star Trek. Uh, you walked in with your stunt bag on your shoulder, and you know you're going to work. But but that day when I walked on the Paramount lot with my stunt bag, knowing that I was heading over to Star Trek, it was like I cannot believe that I'm going to be a part of Stunt Trek or, or Star Trek. Well, I, that's why um, I made that word Stunt Trek. I mean, that's how much Star Trek meant to me. Meant to me. I mean, I was in seventh heaven walking over to, well, it'd be stage 18. Um, 
there there are no words that that could describe that first day and then later you know as i was working regularly on deep space nine and then voyager started filming and um you know i'm speaking you'd you'd have to look up some of these names but david livingston was a producer um you know uh you just spoke to these people. Well, again, the golden rule, you don't speak to them first. You let them speak to you first. But once once you have the go-ahead that you're able to speak to them without being afraid of getting them upset or them saying, who are you? I mean, they knew who I was. Um, boy, that sounded a little, <laughs> you know, they, they knew <laughs> they knew that I was a stunt woman. Um, you know, if I saw David Livingston, I'd just say hi and we'd start talking or any of the special effects guys or or I'll say some of the cast um you know, I was able to I, I, w- I would not have gone up to Kate Mulgrew or Jerry Ryan and just spoke to them. They they kind of had their own world, and you had to stay away from them. But the guys, I mean, all all the Roberts, <laughs> well, I think I've been through this before, is it was like Robbie, Bobby, Bobby, Robert, <laughs> you know, because there were three of them on uh, Voyager. That's right. And I forget. That's right. Uh, I think. Bob, Robert, Duncan, McDeal, McNeil. Robert Picardo yeah. and um, think, and uh, Robert Beltron. Those guys, those three, I could talk to with no problem. Um, I don't really remember talking to Ethan Phillips. Going back to Deep Space Nine, I mean, you know, talking to to Max Gronick. I hope I'm saying the name right. Uh, um, Aaron, uh, uh, um, amazingly, Avery Brooks. I mean, he was he was very talkative towards me, uh, you know. And I'm I'm just saying the actors right now, as opposed to the crew. Um, I mean, that, strangely enough, what I discovered in my career, I feel men were more confident with their roles, that they would take the time and talk to you. The women, I'm sorry, they, there were very few actresses that would sit and talk with you. I mean, Nana, I really don't remember having a conversation with her. Uh, Terry Farrell, I mean, the night that I had to put the harness on her because she was going to be killed, well, you know, there's a whole background story to that. I mean, I'm in her dressing room, but she was not a happy camper. Um, I mean, I I, uh, I really don't understand why the women are that way, but Mark Alamo, very talkative. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of... Before we run- before we run out of time, Leslie, I wanted to ask you, of all the roles and all the shows and all the movies that you've been in, which one sticks in your mind as your favorite? What's the one that, you, that you're that you the most proud of doing? 
Oh, boy. Are, are we talking about Star Trek or are we talking about all the shows I've done? Your, your entire career, everything. <sighs> I don't know. It's really hard. I would. I guess I keep going towards... Um, I don't know. The, the funny stunts, the most dangerous stunts. I mean, the jump off of the love boat was extremely memorable, 78 feet to water. Um, and John Ritter coming up to me and telling me what a great job I did. But, but I mean, like almost every episode, well, I, I, it's not even almost every episode. Every time I watch Star Trek, um, it was wonderful. I mean, I used to, when I wasn't doing something for the day, and I knew that they that Dennis or Tom might be there, I would just show up on the set. I mean, I lived on the set. Um, and then the other two, which uh, most people know about, is uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and because of Wes Craven. And uh, Naked Gun, because uh, and fan, which sort of includes Fantasy Island, because of Ricardo Montalban, and and Leslie Nielsen was just the funniest person in the world. So, that's, so that's I don't awesome. know. I I I can't say that I have an absolute favorite because because there's so many ways, you know. If you were to ask me, what was your favorite horror? What was your favorite comedy? What was your, you know, it, it's really hard to narrow one down and say this is my absolute favorite other than saying working on Star Trek as a whole was just so memorable that that I'm part of the franchise now, that uh, the last encyclopedia, even though I'm not within the book there's i don't know what you call it it's not really an index it's more of a reference area uh i'm actually in the uh two set encyclopedia of star trek my name is there that is really that is just so cool <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah well, i mean it, you lovely. know it's it's yeah, I know. Guess what? Oh, oh my God! So, <laughs> time just flies right by, doesn't it? It's incredible. <laughs> it, it does. I mean, uh, let's put it this way. I guess my only regret is I wish I was on a Planet of the Apes movie or something. Never, never. <laughs> not the show, not the television show, or any of the sequels. I mean, I was too well, young. Uh, to be in the 68, 1968 <laughs> To ask, do you think one reason why the women were probably less talkative um, could be because of the sexism and they were more in danger of losing their jobs and more competitive for their jobs? That I—that's exactly what I agree with. Is that uh, 
a, a woman's career is a lot shorter from a man's career. It's, it's. I mean, there are women that, well, like Doris Roberts being Raymond's mother. I mean, there are some women that had got jobs in their 60s, 70s, but but you're right. I mean, you had to be gorgeous, and if if you became fat or or you know, it was interesting. A man could be 50 years old in a movie dating an 18 year old, and no one had a problem with that. But no way could a woman. Now I'm trying to revert. No way could a woman be 50 or 60 years old dating an 18-year-old man in a movie. So, yes, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I I agree. It's sexism. It uh, Hopefully it's changing. Um, but, I just wonder uh, if that's why they were a little less friendly, because they felt such um, competitiveness and um, protectiveness of their of their parts. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't insulted by them not talking to me, but yeah. it, it was so amazing on the movie Clue is that every one of the men, you know, who starred in the movie talked to me. Every one of the women, uh, Elaine Brennan, uh, Leslie Ann Warren, um, I'm losing the names of, I mean, well, I think, as you say, I think they were competitive against themselves, each other, I mean, that yeah. when they weren't needed on the set, they went to their dressing rooms. They disappeared. Hmm. Well, thank you. Uh, oh. Thanks for your talk. <laughs> Bye. Well, thank you. Bye. Thank you for calling, Joy. Have a great night. Try to stay warm up there. Thank you. <laughs> it wasn't bad today. We hit 43, I think. <laughs> oh, that's Thank a you. Wave. <laughs> yeah, two feet of snow and 43. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, Leslie, <laughs> we're out of time. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just want to, I just want to say thank you to Joy for calling us tonight. We really appreciate it. We love hearing from you guys. And, of course, thank you to the one and only Leslie Hoffman because we couldn't do stunt treks without you, Leslie. So thank you very much for hanging out and talking with me tonight. We really appreciate it. Oh, uh, again, I just I just love – well, I mean, this time, I don't know the – well, obviously the audience doesn't know it, but but I just – sometimes I run out of ideas and – and we really never explored. We've we've talked about uh, the steps I took to become a stunt woman, but we've re- we we really didn't talk about why I wanted to be a stunt woman. And and talking about the movies that I uh, I watched as a child definitely shaped um, my idea or or. Definitely, I can't think of the right word, uh, wanted me to be a stunt woman or or be in the entertainment industry. I mean, I love these movies. 
Oh, well, I, actually, I would I think love even to be... I, well, just real quick because we are running out of time. Is that? I mean, the silent movies. I mean, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Laurel and Hardy, the the the, the Three Stooges, the 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 silly comic stunts were <laughs> were always fascinating to me. So, I mean, my love of comic stunts which is basically what I did in uh, Naked Gun. I mean, I guess, again, I love comedy stunts as just as much as I love dramatic stunts. Say goodnight, Leslie, because we are just about out of time. We have just under two minutes to go. Um, I want to remind everybody to listen to Trek Talking Thursday night from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're going to be talking about Star Trek, the Next Generation episode, Face of the Enemy, that's the one where Deanna Troy wakes up as a Romulan, and The Defector, one of the Star Trek uh, The Next Generation episodes that has one of the most memorable endings of all time. You're going to have to tune in to see what we have to say about that. And, of course, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening, and thank you to Joy for calling, and Leslie for hanging out with me. Um, of course, I'm your host, Uncle Jim. And I just want to say to everybody, please, please stay safe and be good to each other. Good night, everybody. Good night. Hailing frequencies are closed. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.